Hi, I'm Anthony. And I'm Thane, and welcome to Runners on Trail, the trail running podcast by Midpack Runners. For Midpack Runners. And this episode, I think we're both quite excited about, because this episode we're going to do bucket list races. I'm so excited! I know you are. Welcome to Runners on Trail, the trail running podcast by Midpack Runners. For Midpack Runners. And this is the bucket list episode. Yes. Uh, whether it's from Pine to Palm to Purbeck, uh, everyone's got a run that they want to do uh, and a list of them probably. And so we're going to run through our top five. Um, we don't know what's on the other one's bucket list. So it's five each. It's five, five each. each today. Um, but there will clearly be some that the other one will have as a bucket list, but they've been removed by my wife so we don't repeat them. I'm going to go first. Hey. And the first one I'm going to go for... Can I just say, I'm really excited. Are you really excited? The the build-up through this week has been intense. (laughs) Well, I've been editing episode two this week. My my week has been less intense and more (laughs) about episode two. But as far as the bucket list ones go, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to doing it. I think there's going to be some surprises for both of us, I reckon. Because we know there's a bit of overlap. There is a little bit of overlap. I know, yeah. You've got... Yeah, I, I had two from my original list that were on your list, so I know that you've got those. Yeah, and you know I've got. I've got. I know. I know you've got one of. One yeah, so one came mind. off your list, and I've got that. Yeah, and I reckon I know what that is. But I've been pulling my mind apart trying to work out which two you've chosen that I've chosen, and I can't quite work it out. I think I know one, but I don't know the other. Well, we'll see. <sighs> um, so the first one I'm going to pick is the Squamish Fifty series. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, here we go. So first of all, Squamish Fifty. Anthony's number five. So, Squamish 50 series. I've heard a bit about Squamish, but I don't know much more about that. Well, you'll know the guy who's the race director, because the race director is Gary Robbins. Ah, right. Okay, Okay. so um, he of uh, Barclay Marathon's not finishing twice, but nearly finishing twice fame. And uh, he runs them in a place called Squamish, just outside of Vancouver. Oh, wow. Okay, so there's three races involved in the series. There's the 50 mile yeah. The 50 kilometre, and there's a 23 kilometre. Okay. I'm not going to talk about the 23 kilometre today. Right. But I am going to talk about the 50 mile and the 50 kilometre, and you'll understand why in a minute. Okay. So, first of all, the 50 mile. The 50 mile is 50 miles long, no surprise. It runs through sort of foresty, woodlandy sort of areas, and some, there's quite a lot of ascent. Uh, 3,350 metres. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to check what that is in feet, because I can never remember. That is 11,000 feet of ascent. Um, over 50 miles. That's okay. Quite, yeah, it's reasonable. Yeah. And you run, and that happens on the Saturday of the event. Okay. And then on the Sunday, they do the 50 kilometer. Uh-huh. Okay. Which has still got a lot of ascent, two and a half thousand meters of ascent, which is what? 8,500 feet of ascent. Okay. So they're both really good races, but here's the kicker. Aye. Okay. You, you can see where it's going here. Yeah. They do something called the Squamish 50-50. Ah. Okay, so you yeah. sign up and you run the 50 mile on the Saturday and then you run the 50 kilometre oh, on the Sunday. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and so if you complete those, you get a special hat. Okay, and it gets even better. So for each year that you do it, you get a different colour hat. So if you finish it the first year, you get a blue hat. If you've done it two years, you get a green hat. Oh, wow. And it carries on like that. So the third year is a yellow hat. The fourth year is a grey and orange hat. And I'm not sure if anyone's done five years yet. It might have been fifth. I think the, the last, the most recent one was just a few weeks ago. So there might have been a guy who's done it for five years then. Wow. That sounds fun. That, exactly. Sound fun. I'm, I'm, my brother lives in Vancouver. So um, I know what the area is like. It's, it's very pretty. I imagine that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And I've heard, again, it's one of these races that 
I, I don't know a huge amount about, but every time I've heard someone talk about it, you can hear the enthusiasm in their voices. Yeah. And nobody says anything bad about the race at all. Yeah. And I've heard great things that like Gary stands at the finish line literally and hugs everybody that finishes. That is Gary Bobbitt's trait. <laughs> I think of every race, all his races. And hangs a medal around their neck. And so for me, what I liked about it was it's sort of a multi-dayer. Yeah. Sort of. Not really. But I love the fact that you run this intense, really gnarly 50 miler. And then you kind of have the option of not turning up the next day. So it's all about mental resilience. Yes. Getting up the next day and turning up on that start line with your legs throbbing. And it's not that it was a multi day. You could just have rip, went yeah. out and just done the 50 miler. You've got to have that determination to get there and toe the line on the second day. I imagine that makes it quite a good dynamic on the day. The fact that you could have pulled out, but you, not not pulled out. The fact that you, you're coming along and saying, I'm coming here, I'm doing the second day as well. There's a real yay exactly. kind of atmosphere about it. Yeah. yeah. And it's a real achievement to having, I know, we've both done 50 miles, you've done 100 miles, turning up the next day and doing a, a 50 kilometre, what's that, just over a marathon, but with two and a half thousand metres of ascent. Yes, yeah. That's Chanty. really quite gnarly on its yeah. own. And the woods over there are really nice because they're like, like I know, of Canada and North America, the woods are quite open as well. Big, tr- big trees. So you get to, the trails are really lovely and stuff. Um, so beautiful views, I imagine as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, there's a fair amount of, it can be a bit wet, I gather, and, it, and because of the climb, you know, there's, there's some, uh, Groomed bits. The, the really interesting bit is the 50 miler, uh, that 3,350 meters percent. The first six miles is completely flat. Oh, oh. so, uh, so it's all that ascent actually in 44 miles. Yeah. Um, so it's getting on for the sort of what we did in Transvolcania. Yeah. So you imagine running Transvolcania and then the next day turning up and running something that's longer than a marathon. Yeah. With a similar level of ascent. Brilliant. Brilliant. So um, that's the Squamish 50, uh, and it's on my bucket list just because I just think it sounds amazing. Sign me up. I want to go. Good. good. Well, sign up in four weeks. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> Some decisions. Yeah. Right. My number five is the Richesville Transfrontier Wild Run. Ooh. I've never heard of it. Right. Thanks, number five. Right, so the Richesville Transfrontier Wild Run is in South Africa okay. and also goes in Namibia as well. It is a 200 kilometer, 124 miles, but over five days. So it's a multi-stage point to point race. Got a climb of around 3,400 meters. That's about 11,000 foot, but over the five days. Uh, maximum altitude of 850 meters, so two, about 2,800 feet, but it's desert, boulders, mountains, canyons, absolutely gorgeous. And the camp moves day to day. It's moved as a bit, um, a bit like, um, Marathon de Sable. Um, they move the camp for you and it's got like a bar that moves with it as well. You're well looked after. It's uh, things not to do on a multi-stage race. Yeah. <laughs> Get hammered in the evening. It's my kind of multi-stage. It's in a very remote part uh, of the country. So not many people actually get to see it at all. So it's running the Richfield Transfrontier Park, which is the oldest desert in the world. Lots of weathering on rocks, landscape. Um, it's got nomadic tribes and flora and wildlife, etc. Tell me about the nasties. The nasty, I don't, the nar, the nasties is, okay, it's hot. No, 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 I meant nasty animals. 
snakes and stuff. I, I, okay. It, I, don't, I don't think I, I don't think it's excessive. Just general way. things. Just, just, just general things. Um, but there's wonderful bits like the uh, Tattersburg boulders, which is like a boulder field, uh, and the boulders are like car to house size boulders. And I was just going to... Tell me you can go around those, not over them. No, right? you have to go over them. And I was going to show you a photograph. So here we go. This is a picture of... Oh, my... God. Can you see the runner? Yes. Climbing over the boulders? Yes. Can you see the other person on the boulders? Oh, my God. <laughs> and things like that. That's ridiculous. So I should say that uh, I've got the uh, Running Beyond book, which is brilliant, by Ian Corliss. So I'm going to uh, flip that open on the page. So as you see from the photos, stunning landscape. Yeah, absolutely. Um, desert, but with lots going on. So um, do they? Um, do you have to carry all your kit? It doesn't look like it from these no, pages. No, not at all. So you do it in your standard sort of running vest, and they carry. Unlike the subway, where you have to carry everything. Yes, they they carry your kit for yeah. you. Yeah, it's like it's like effectively doing five trail marathon days, but you're well looked after, and and they they change the routes slightly year to year. Not to, just to find nice, interesting areas to run if people are coming back and doing it another time, but people who've done it rave about it and they say it's absolutely stunning. I've heard other great things about running in South Africa. So, yeah, good one. Like it. Number five done. Woo! So, my number four mm-hmm. is the Giants Head Marathon in Dorset. <laughs> okay. All right. A bit um, local one. Well, there you go. Anthony's number four. So... Why have I picked the Giants Head Marathon in Dorset? Number one, everybody, again, that you read about online absolutely raves about it and goes on how brilliant a race it is. And to give you an idea how brilliant a race it is, bearing in mind this is in a tiny little village in Dorset, they opened entries four weeks ago. It's got a maximum entry list of 450, which is quite big for a little race. It's sold out. Not only is it sold out, it's got a wait list of 200 people on it at the moment. Wow. Okay. Okay. Which I think speaks volumes clearly for how popular it is and the reputation that it has for being an amazing race. Is that the one that Pete did? And we talked that about That is the one that Pete did. It is. Who I spoke about in episode one. That's absolutely okay. right. Yeah. So, um, it's a little bit longer than a marathon. They don't say it is, but I gather it's about 27 miles. Most trail Personally, marathons are. I, I wouldn't call that an ultra. No. I don't think it's an ultra really to get to about 30. I think you've got to give them a little bit of a, yeah. a flex. Um, and it's got about a thousand meters of climb. Okay. So it's not ridiculous. Why is it great? And why do people go on and say it's great? I, it's allegedly an absolutely beautiful course in a lovely part of the UK. You get to run past the Cern Abbas Giant. Right. Um, What's who, that? So it's, um, a, carving into the chalk hillside. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sort of like the, the horses and things. And he's got an absolutely enormous club <laughs> that he holds in his hand. Uh, um, the, and there's, but there's also some really weird things about it. So at about four miles, um, there's a farmer who stands there ringing a bell and cheering you as you go uh, past. Okay. Yeah. But he's always naked. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a few other little things like that <laughs> that I think just make it a little bit quirky and make it sound like it's a lot of fun. I got the A stations are really well stocked. Uh, I've heard one negative that if you're, if you're on the course for a long time, they can end up getting a little bit depleted. There's still food, but it's just not as good yeah, a range. Yeah. But again, there's a lot of other races around it um, and White Star Running that run it uh, have got a really good reputation. Yeah. It won Best Marathon, not Trail Marathon, Best Marathon in the UK from Runners World Magazine in 2014. Fantastic. Okay, so for a little village marathon, yeah. I think, you know, that's that's a fairly big achievement. And as I said, you go online, no one has a bad thing to say about it. People just rave about it. And I want to do it because we talk about bucket lists and I think everybody wants the massive and big races. Yeah. 
but I really want to do it. Yeah. It's a really yeah. great race. You know, we tried this year after we got came back from Transvaal to get in, not realizing how horrendously difficult it is to get we into did. it. We did, and and the man that wrote ran it wrote back to me very nicely when there's a rather long wait list you're not going to get in now <laughs> having written to me in June it's on in three weeks uh, and I can see why now and if you go online there's some videos of it and Steve Cousins from Film My Runs videoed it uh, and went on about what a great run it was so it's just a lovely trail hilly marathon in the UK typical of things like Herbeck and Beachy Head and all the other ones that are there but for me that one I think stands out above the others so we've got to be on it We've got to be on it next year to get into it for 2019. Right. Absolutely. Okay. We absolutely do. Awesome. I love the idea of these little traditions, like the man with the bell and stuff. It's <laughs> yeah. very quirky. Makes exactly. it. And you quite often you get those in the small races as well, rather than the big ones. But yeah. yeah. Awesome. Okay. My number four. Your number four. Here we go. So my number four is Escape from Meriden. Ooh. I have again, I have not heard of it. Good. Number four. So, Escape from Meriden. So, Meriden is the centre of England. It's a village somewhere in between Coventry and Birmingham. And the challenge is that you have to get more than 90 miles away from Meriden within 24 hours. So, it's 90 miles as the crow flies. Okay. So, so in order to uh, paint a picture for you, from 90 miles from there, you would have to get, if you were headed northwards, you'd have to get from Meriden, um, in between Birmingham and, and Coventry, you'd have to get to Leeds or Blackburn. Manchester is not far enough. If you went northwest, you'd have to get to Wallasey or Crosby. Liverpool isn't far enough. If you went west, you'd have to go over the mountains to 12 miles from Aberystwyth. Yeah, I'm not doing that way. <laughs> if you went south, if you went southwest from there, Cardiff, um, you'd have to go to Cardiff or Western Supermare. Newport or Bristol is not far enough. If you went south, you've got to get to Salisbury. Southeast, central London, you'd need to get three quarters of a mile from Buckingham Palace. Uh, if you went east, you had to get Mildon Hall, Cambridge ain't far enough. And northeast, you'd have to get to Scunthorpe. It's a large area. No, and that's 90 miles as the crow flies. As the crow flies. flies. But there's three categories. So you'd have to, you, if you get over 30 miles, you get a silver crow. If you go over 60 miles, you get a gold crow. And if you get over 90 miles, you get a black crow. But you're escaping. So they give you an orange jumpsuit to run in. And obviously everyone runs in completely different directions. There's no aid stations because everyone's running in a different direction. Uh, the advice is, best run home to mummy because <laughs> when you've got to your when you've done your your distance you've got to sort yourself out there's no one there to get your car or sort anything out and what can you take with you in terms of kit you, is it just your own jumpsuit or can you wear a race vest can you oh yeah you wear you wear your normal what right, you, you can take run. money you can take money you can stop in shops but you've got to plan your route so and you can't one presumes you have to get stay on foot the whole time yeah 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 so you, you can't got, use a bike no no you've got trackers um, so they can track you online and when you switch your tracker off is when they stop you and you've got like a race drone thing. So here, I don't know if you can see it. Here's a photograph of what happened a couple of years ago with all the routes the runners took. Okay. So there's a lot of planning in it. So you'd have to run. So you say, right, I want to run along a canal. I want to, I want to, or I, you know, I want to go something. I want to pick up a feature which has got a really nice straight, length, straight, straight, not much flat to it. And you can, you can go online. It's all on GPX on Google Earth and see why people have run in certain places to do. But it's very hard to do 90 miles as the crow flies. You've basically got to run about a hundred. Oh, at least. Yeah. I, I reckon further than that. But I don't want to do that. 
I don't want to do the escape from Meriden standard. That would be too boring. Okay. What I want to do is escape from Meriden chained. So they have an extra category, which is for people who want to run as a pair and be chained together. So you get chained together with a metre long chain, so presumably at the wrists, uh, and you have to do the same thing. But with someone you know? Yes, yes. It'd be with someone you know. You've got to run to, you obviously got to run to somewhere you, you, you know. But if you do the chain category, there's an extra bit to it as well. Go on. Which is, you've got to do the 90 miles as the crow flies. In 24 hours. In 24 hours. But you've also got a challenge of doing, and I'm not quite sure from the rules, it's, I think it might have changed, either 130 or 140 miles within 36 hours. So you've got to do the 24, and then you've got another 12 hours to get in up to that 130, 140. But that's not measured as the crow flies. So you can get to the 90 and then maybe do a loop circuit or whatever to do it. So I think that's great. You can be crude, um, so people can help you, you know, give you food. You're normally crude. Yeah, well, I've more than one. <laughs> I know C-R-E-W-E-D rather than C-R-U-D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because let's face it, if you're chained to someone, there's going to have to be a certain amount of crudeness <laughs> as you sit there and go to the toilet in front of somebody. One other thing, it's done in November. All right. So it's not, yeah. So the weather will be a little bit... But it's in the UK. I mean, it's, this, this isn't mountainous. This yeah. isn't, unless you go through Wales, which would just be a ridiculous way to go, I think. But there you go. But I love, the, I love the idea of the tactics of it and how you'd run. And if you came to the race day and you're and all of a sudden there's a headwind on your route, what would you do? You do have several routes to think, actually, I don't want to run 90, 100 miles into wind for a day. I'll run another route. There's loads of things you could do. Loads of research, all kinds of things. Okay, I like, I like it. It's not, it's not strictly a trail race, but I like it. Yeah. It's, 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 it's an ultra. No, it definitely is an ultra, but it's, yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, so number four was the... It was the Escape from Meriden Chained category. Okay, so... My number three is the Bob Graham round. Ah, okay. All right. I know about this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anthony's number three. So, the Bob Graham round. I appreciate it's not a race in the strictest sense and that you're not competing against other people when you run it. So, for those who don't know about the Bob Graham round, it effectively is a run around the fells and the peaks of the Lake District. Uh, it started off a long time ago with people running different numbers of peaks. And then in 1932, Bob Graham ran 42 peaks in 24 hours. And that effectively, with a few numbers of tweaks and changes to which what counts as peaks, has been the Bob Graham round since 1932. Mm-hmm. And he set a record then that took years for people to break. So imagine 1932, he sets a record. It wasn't until 1960. Wow. That someone else got round. Yeah. Um, effectively in under 24 hours. The current record, which is absolutely ridiculous. This is 66 miles with 8,200 meters of ascent. So 26,900 feet. That's a lot. Nearly 27,000 feet of ascent is by a guy called Billy Bland, who did it in 13 hours and 53 minutes. That's crazy, isn't it's it? It's ridiculous. I, I mean, I've heard it before, but every time you say it, he's like, um, and the, Current women's record holder is Jasmine Paris, who did it in 15 hours 24, which is absolutely obscene. Which was really recently, actually, wasn't it? It is really recent. Yeah, I think it's 2016. Yeah. So, so there you go. And you start at the Moot Hall in Keswick. Yep. So you can run it either anti-clockwise or clockwise, um, whichever way around you like. And you can run the peaks in any order you like, but there's an optimal route to go. Yes. So you either run it clockwise or anti-clockwise. Most people tend to run it literally in midsummer. Yeah. Because otherwise, it could, if you run it in August, 
that's quite people see that as being really quite cold and late to run it. Okay. So uh and there's only thirty four people I think who run run what they call winter rounds, so running it actually in the winter. I've seen a YouTube video of someone doing that. It looks harsh. Yeah. Well so about two thousand six hundred odd people have done it. Why is it on my bucket list? Uh, so if anybody has read the book by Richard Asquith, Feet in the Clouds, it's about his journey to try and do the Bob Graham. Now he's clearly a competent runner, but by his own admission he's not an amazing elite runner or anything else. So I think there's a bit about it that says it is extremely tough, but it is doable. Yeah. And I genuinely believe that I could probably do it okay. with the right training and yeah. with the right mental attitude. The interesting thing is you don't run it on your own. You can do a solo round, but a solo round doesn't really count because yeah. someone has to be at each of the peaks to verify that you made it there. So what you normally do is you run it and you normally have someone carrying your kit for you. And quite often people run it in threes with one person doing the navigation, one person carrying the kit, and then the person is actually doing the round. And then you swap the support runners as you run round. So it's interesting. It's sort of like a fully supported race. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to carry any of your kit. And I understand listening to podcasts about it, that one of the reasons they do that is for safety. They don't want people going out individually to try and do this challenging course on their own in winter without people looking there, looking after them. Even in the summer, I think, the weather yeah. changes so quickly in the lakes. We, yeah. Everybody in the UK knows that where the lakes have got a massively changing weather system and it's not the driest place to be in the world. Even in the summer, yeah. it rains quite a lot. So tough race to do. Most people start at sort of one o'clock in the morning yeah, uh, and try and finish by, there's a uh, Rogerson schedule, which a lot of people use, which is a 23-hour schedule. Okay. Um, people try and keep to that schedule. And that gives you an hour of flex, effectively. Uh, and as I said, there's various ways you can do it and bits you can cut the course. There's a couple of bits where you actually have to do some climbing, as in roped climbing. And if you don't, you have to run around those bits and it takes longer. So, yeah, why do I want to do it? As I said, I think I can do it. It's really interesting. There's a club that goes with it. And I just think there's a great feeling of community and spirit because you have to run it with people. You kind of have to do your bit, but also put a bit back. So a lot of people yeah. tend to run training legs as part of somebody else's Bob Graham. They'll yeah. run it as part of the support crew. And I think if I wanted to do it, I'd want to do it properly. So that's one of the things that stops me doing it, is I think something like the Bob Graham is a race or a challenge that needs to be treated with respect. Yeah. Respect for the tradition as much as respect for the terrain. So you could probably get someone to run with you. You could go out there for a weekend, have never been to the lakes, get someone to navigate you around it, run it, and walk away and never go back again. But for me, that's not what the Bob Graham's about. Yeah. The Bob Graham's about respecting the race, respecting the tradition, pacing it for somebody, learning about it, doing it, and then going back afterwards to help other people do it. Yeah. And I live in Bristol, and that's quite a hard commitment to make. I want to make the commitment one day. At the moment, though, it's just a little bit difficult. I agree. That's nice. So just to finish off the Bob Graham round, here are the 42 peaks you have to do. Skidor, Great Calver, Blencathra, Clough Head, Great Dodd, Watson's Dodd, Stybarrow, Dodd, Rays, Whiteside, Lowerman, Helvellyn, Nethermost Pike, Dolly Wagon Pike, Fairfield, Seat Sandal, Steelfell, Calf Crag, High Rays, Sergeant Mann, Penacorn Knot, Harrison Stickle, Piper Stickle, Rosset Pike, Bowfell, Esk Pike, Great End, Ilcrag, Broadcrag, Scoffer Pike, Scarfell, Ewbarrow, Red Pike, Steeple, Pillar, Kirkfell, Great Gable, Green Gable, Brandeth, Grey Knots, Dale Head, Hinscarth, and Robinson, starting and finishing at the Moon Hall in Keswick. So there you go, the Bob Graham round. Excellent. Good choice. Runners on trail. So we're about halfway through our bucket list races, and that's a good opportunity to remind you how you can get in contact with us. You can email us, runnersontrail at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at runnersontrail. And on Snapchat, 
runners on trail. So please tell us what you think and what you'd like us to talk about. And of course, please subscribe to the podcast. Runners on trail. So your number three? My number three is Grand Ray de la Reunion, also known as La Diagonale de Fou. I thought you might have this on your list. It wasn't on mine, but I thought it might be uh, Okay, on yours. it's in Reunion Island, which is in the Indian Ocean. It's actually a French territory. Thames number three. So, running from the Cross Reunion, you've mentioned this before, and it, when we first started running, and we, we have really these conversations, so of course you do, when you're running with friends, this is one of the runs that you said to me was really up there on your bucket list and the one you, one of the ones you really, really, really wanted to do. Yeah. So the reason being is I've been to Reunion before Reunion Island. Yeah. And it is the most beautiful place I've been to. Um, I, I went there. I was, it was related to the business. Uh, I only spent, um, two days there and I didn't really get to see very much. And I always promised myself I would go back there and then subsequently getting into trail running. 20 years later, I noticed there's this really big run uh, on the island. So that instantly went straight, <laughs> went up high on my list of trail runs to do. Uh, beautiful place. And I'll combine it with a holiday and have a, a great time. So it's it's near Mauritius. It's two islands, Mauritius and Reunion are quite close together. Mauritius is delicious. Mauritius is delicious. Um, Reunion is beautiful. Um, it is a, a, a French protectorate. So you can only really get there from uh, France. Uh, and they they speak French. Um, you can no, at, you can wait. Really? Uh, sorry, for a French protectorate? That's no. surprising. But what I mean is, you can go check this out online. They won't speak English, and and that's all to do with lots of history. I won't go into that. But I can speak a bit of French, and as long as you, to be fair, when I went there, you make a good attempt at French. You speak for a you know for a little while, and then they go, well done, great, uh, and then they'll kind of. Uh, maybe drop into a little bit of English to help you out. But it's it's beautifully stunning. So the course, I should tell you a bit about that. It's 100 miles. It's 160, so 161 kilometers. It runs from Saint-Pierre in the south to Saint-Denis in the north. It's got a climb of 9,576 meters, so 31,000 feet. So it is kind of Transvolcania plus a bit multiplied by two. Highest altitude is 7,000 feet. So it's not too bad. You're not going to suffer with um, lack of oxygen or anything. It's a mountain trail. It's quite a generous cutoff, 48 hours. So they do encourage people to take part. So I think, I don't think the cutoffs are a, a, a concern, but it's beautifully, beautifully stunning. Uh, it runs across the whole uh, island. It goes through volcano areas, lovely beaches, vibrant culture. It, it, it rainforest. It's it's a really stunning route, and I really want to do it to get back to reunion to to enjoy the culture and then to do the race. I think it sounds absolutely amazing. When we first started talking about it, I can remember thinking that's an insane run. I think what scares me most is that eighteen months into a sort of a trail running journey for me. It doesn't sound that insane at all anymore. No, it would. It's like Transvolcania sounded insane. And now no, we've it doesn't done it. at all. It does. It sounds challenging, but it doesn't yeah. sound insane. But just looking at the map, the the, the island has got um, sunken volcanoes, a bit a, a bit like uh, La Palma, where Transvolcania. Mm-hmm. So you end up walk, uh, running along these kind of ridge lines and getting some wonderful views. But there's all it's a lot more kind of forested and stuff like that. Or yeah. So here we go. So so it does look a bit Ooh. like Transvolcania run. Yeah. So it's sort of looks like sort of rainforesty with. With some amazing mountains and sort of, as you say, volcanic peaks and that sort of stuff, a bit of mist. Yeah. As it's nice. got this, as a bit like, um, where it is in the Canaries, because they're islands, you end up with their own climate. So on some sides it can be quite barren, 
Um, and that's where you've got the kind of the volcanoes and bits and pieces. And they do have still lava flowing out <laughs> into nice. the sea. Um, but on the other side, it can be quite wet and kind of tropical. And all the way around the island, surf beaches, um, reefs, etc., like that. So it's, it, it is it is a stunningly um, beautiful place. And, cool. I, and I want to go back. And yep. this is the reason to go back. Yeah, and I'm, I, I think I might join you on this one. Excellent. This one, this Get one in. Good. I like this one. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm quite keen on this one, I think. <laughs> so we're down to the final two for each of us. Yeah. Okay. This is getting interesting because I have much overlap. But anyway, yeah. 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 Okay. So we shall see. So number two on my list. Might even need a small drum roll. Go on. Western States Endurance. Yes. <laughs> I thought you might like yes. that. Yes. Anthony's number two. So Western States, uh, we've made no secret. It's right up there for us to do. It's the one we're planning to try. The big A race we really, really want to do next. Yeah. Um, and our qualification stuff this year has been to get us to the Thames Path 100 next year with the idea of trying to get into Western States. So let's quickly talk about Western States and then we can quickly talk about the lottery because it's worth talking about. Yeah. So Western States, it's the oldest 100-mile race in the world. And it goes back to the 70s and, and people have run different races at different times. But it has its basis in a run, which was a horse run in the 70s. And people used to ride horses. And then one year this bloke's horse went lame and he said, can I try and run the race at the yeah. same time as horses? That had a 24 hour limit and he did it in under 24 hours. Just, yes. Yes. So that's where it comes from. And then after a bit of time, they separated that race from the horse race and decided to extend the race out to 30 hours. But if you finish in 24 hours, both the times you get a belt buckle. If you jump 24 hours, you get a under one day belt buckle, which is silver. And yeah. up to 30, at 30 hours, you get a bronze buckle that's a completed, but doesn't say one day. So it starts in the School Valley Ski Resort. It finishes in place of high school. You run around the track. Very famous video of a guy called Brian Morrison in 2006, who had to be helped to finish and therefore was disqualified. He was helped to finish, like in the last... 200 meters or something yeah, yeah. so it's got I said it's 100 miles um it's got a cumulative ascent of 18,090 feet that's 5,500 meters i mean you descend a bit further than that because clearly it's a point-to-point race yeah there's a big temperature difference yes well it feels like a big temperature difference i'm not sure it's as big as people make out it is but it is certainly big you start early in the morning and a lot of times, certainly this year, people were running in snow and yeah. sinking up to their knees in snow. Yeah. And then later on, sinking up to their knees in mud. Yeah. So it's quite about people losing their shoes this year in some of the bogs. But then as you run through the heat of the day, uh, the temperatures can go up to over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, over, yeah. So a lot of temperature difference. It seems a massive run because it's the oldest yes. race in the world. Yeah. yeah. And so to get into it, they have... 369 runners that's allowed by um, the race license that they're allowed because they're running in national parks yeah and they run a lottery and the way the lottery runs without in too much detail is if you enter in year one you get one ticket in the lottery if you enter for the next year if you enter you didn't if you didn't get in in year one you get two tickets the next year the year after that you get four tickets the year after that you get eight tickets in sort of the raffle lottery which gives you an increasing chance to get picked out each year yeah so that's sort of the way the lottery works. And I think I think I'm right in saying that it, statistically at the moment, it, if you've just entered for your first time, you've got like a 2 to 3% chance of being selected. I think it's 2.4% I worked out the other day. Right. They also run a golden ticket system for those people who run win certain races to make sure they get people in back. And the top 10 runners of males and top 10 female runners from each year get automatically to go back. Yes. Why is it a bucket lit race? It's the oldest 100-mile race in the world. It's where it started. And if you're into 
ultra and endurance running, how can you not want to do the daddy race, the mummy race, whatever you want to call it, the original race? This is where it all started. And there's so much history to it. And just listening to podcasts and reading stuff, you can't help but learn a bit of history about it as you, as you, when you're following trail running. All of the, you know, Robinson's Flat and things like that and the canyons, uh, which is where you're running through them in the, in the heat of the day and you, you drop down into these canyons are stiflingly hot. People coming up, the fact that people have to stay cool by putting ice inside their, their sleeves and their, on, you can buy on special things rather than nets. Yeah, to try and keep them, try and keep them cool. So there's so much history. And, and the river crossing at 70 miles, which everyone goes on about some years. If you, I think the good years are the years where the river's not that high and you have to wade across. Yeah. Whereas last year, or rather this year, sorry, for example, it was so high that for safety reasons, they took people across by boat. Yeah. And I think when you run that, when you run that course, you'd just be ticking off things that happen because there's lots of videos and films that have been done on certain years following people running the course. You go, Oh, this is where this happened. Oh, this is where it's almost like running through history. I think it was what it would be, what it would feel like. Yeah. So Western States, it yeah, had to be up there. How could, I, how could it not be on our list of races? And, and I knew it was probably the one that I'd yeah, taken from it you. It was on my list. So yeah. Um, yeah. So when I heard I'd taken one from yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. We'll boom. Do it one day. Yeah, hopefully. Um, so, which brings us on to your number two. We are going to see if my two that I had that came off my list really are in your top two. And my number two is the Coastal Challenge. Right, Costa it was. Rica. Yeah, that was, that was, was number it? five on my original okay. list. Okay. So there you go. Thanks, number two. Ah, Costa Rica Coastal Challenge. I so want to do this race. Yeah, it looks great. Um, it's a multi-stage. I don't normally like the idea of doing multi-stages, but like the other multi-stage I've chosen in South Africa, this one is well supported. They move the camp every day. Um, there's a, a, the opportunity to have drinks and a bar. Um, it's kind of hammocks and it's kind of, they put the camps on normally near a beach. It looks stunning. It's it looks unbelievably stunning. You're running along beaches through, wading through crystal clear rivers. Yeah, it's 35 degree heat with high humidity. It's ridiculously hot. I've heard some amazing stories of people saying that every river they go to, they just lay down yeah. for five minutes before bringing stunning, It's so ridiculously hot. Stunning photos of people. I know Ian Corliss does a lot of photography on it and stuff. And just people just sitting there li- lying in the water, just trying to cool off. Genuine kind of, you know, rainforest type environment. Um, you've got some track trails through that kind of land. You, you go up to, I think it's a maximum altitude. It's not that high up to about 3,200 um, feet, um, but it's 146 miles in total over six days. It is challenging. It is hard um, running on the beach, running in that kind of humidity. But I think it's just the views, the atmosphere. It's restricted to a reasonably small amount of people. So just like the Richardsville front, uh, Trans Frontier, uh, what I was talking about earlier, you get to know everybody. It's like, it's like a family and everyone's there to support each other. And one of the things I like about it is you get top elite athletes running with people who have only maybe been doing it for a year or two and in their own way are challenged themselves. But there's that kind of level of interaction where you're just people and everyone's supporting each other. I just love that idea. And then you get to talk about it. And that's one of the things about trail running, isn't it? Is it doesn't matter if you ran it, if you became, if you ran that section the fastest or the slowest. You all saw those things. You all had those experiences. Therefore, when you get back, 
you can sit next to the elite runner and talk about talk about the day and the course and what you see. And you wouldn't you wouldn't do that in many other sports. And it's a shared experience. You know, some people are getting fast, some people slow, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, so you know, Anna Frost won it this year. Uh, you know, she's incredibly famous, run won some amazing races. Is by her own admission coming to the end of her career, but it just shows that she dedicated herself to running that this year and did amazingly well. And as you said, I think the, the bit that came across from the race reports I've read is how everybody just gets together around the campfire at night. Yeah. Elites and amateurs mixing together, sharing the, I was going to say horror of the experience, because I think there is a little bit about it that's it so hard. horrendously difficult. But at the same time, every photo I've seen is stunning rainforest, beautiful tropical beaches. Yeah. And we heard in episode two for you about how it's a journey, mm. how it's seeing a part of the world and traveling along it and seeing things that other people haven't seen or that you wouldn't see if you didn't do the trail running. I think this race, possibly for me, absolutely sums that up to a T, as yeah. the South African race did for you. Yes. It's, it's this amazing vista yeah. that you would never, ever get to put yourself in otherwise. Yeah, yeah. And lots of people who've done it really want to go back again and do it. It does look stunningly gorgeous. Logistically, quite yeah. difficult to convince my family to let me go and run five days while they, I guess while they sit in a hotel by yeah, the Yeah, I think, think that's the challenge is, yeah, you've got, there's a, there's a cost involved and you've got to get there for it. I, I think it's worth it. So it's a bucket list, but I'll have to save up for it and I'd have to work out the logistics, but that, that's why it's high up on my list of ones to do. And mine too. As yeah. I said, it was in my list. Bucket, so my so. top five originals. So there you go. Yeah. And it's a lot, a lot of experience. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Barnes from the UK. She's won it twice, I think. I think so, yeah. She's won Marathon. Oh, she won it. She's, she's won the Sable. She's won the Sable twice. So. Yeah, and, and these people, you know, when you've got runners like that who are, are raving about it, et cetera, and Ian Corliss raves about it and other people, you, you know it's, you know, it's, it's world class and definitely got to do it. Yeah, and, and quite rightly up on the bucket list. So we have reached... The number ones. The number ones. And so, number one on my list, definitely worthy of a drum roll. Hard Rock. Yeah. 100. Okay, cool. Thought it might be. There you go. Anthony's number one. So, the Hard Rock 100, this is a properly nails event. It there is. is no doubt how nails this is, and I'll, I'll hopefully that will come across when I talk about some of the stats in a minute. So, it's just over 100 miles, and it's run from Silverton in Colorado. It's a loop course. Yeah. And so, they run it clockwise one year, then anti-clockwise the next year. Let's talk stats. 33,050 feet of climb, mm-hmm. and clearly of um, descent as well. It's the elevation that I think is absolutely ridiculous. The average elevation you are running at in the race is 11,000 feet. Which is just crazy. Yeah, the lowest you get is just under 8,000. And there's a fair amount of time when you're running at 14,000 feet. Which is crazy. Yeah, which is absolutely ridiculous. To give you an idea of how tough this race is, the course record by Killian Journey, yeah, is 22 hours and 41 minutes. Yeah. Now, given the fact that the course record for Western States is about 14 hours. Yeah. And the course record for this is 22 hours. Yeah. And Killian Journey is possibly one of the best ultra runners there has ever been on this planet. Almost certainly. This year he ran it in 25 hours. No, excepting he ran the last 87 miles with a dislocated, dislocated his shoulder. Ridiculous. <laughs> but. I think that just shows you, you're talking 24 hours, so you're going to average about, the best runners are averaging somewhere between four and five miles an hour. Yeah. Which shows you... Which yeah. is slow for at least. Yeah. And um, I remember watching um, Jamal Perry, and we talked about it in episode two. We watched a video of him doing it. 
He came, I think, ninth this year, and it took him 29 hours. Yeah. So let's do a few more stats. They allow 145 entrants each year. And the way that breaks down is they give 45 slots to people who have never, ever run the race at all. Okay. They then give 33 slots to veterans. Those are people who have run it five times or more. Okay. And then they give 67 slots to people who've run it between one and five. Yeah. And so they effectively have three different ballots okay. you can find yourself in. And the ballot system runs in the same way as Western States. So in the first year, you get one ticket in the ballot. The next year, you get two. The next year, four. The next year, eight. So it's two to the power of the number of years you've entered minus one. Yeah. If you want to get really geeky and maths like about it. Which means you get an increasing chance each year of getting in. Yeah. But only 145 people get in, although I'm not sure what the stats are in terms of number of people applying to get in each year. I suspect it's ridiculously high. But the qualification races for Hard Rock make Western states look like a walk in the park. So, for example, one of the qualification runs they list is having completed all five legs of the Barclay Marathons. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one of the things you could have done. There are other races you can do. All of the qualification races are absolutely ludicrously tough races. So you really, really have to have proven yourself beyond all doubt. And if you look at the weather that the people run in, the videos, each, each year, roughly, you can expect to experience... Snow, hail, lightning storms, torrential rain. Now, the one good thing about the race is they do, allegedly, I've not done it, but mark the course quite well. They make the place. It's not an orienteering event. No, no, no. That said, they they have reduced the course markings incrementally over the years, so there have been less and less course markings. Okay. So you are expected to know the course. Yeah. The course markings are to keep you keep them, you reminded when you're tired, effectively. You are expected to know when to turn off, when to turn around and do stuff. But it is a marked course. Why is it right up there at the top of my bucket list? I think you spoke to Marcin in episode two about the spine. Yeah. You know, and you said, why do you want to do it? And you went, just effectively, because it's there. Yeah. It's there to be done. And for me, Hard Rock is up there with a race that, do you know what? I think I could do it. Mm. It's got a 48-hour cutoff. Yeah. And I think I'd probably be pretty close to that. But I think I could do it. Yeah. If I trained hard. I think it's doable. The challenge, I think, is the altitude, especially coming from being sea-level creatures like yeah. we are in the UK. I've been up to 12,000 feet before in the Dolomites in Italy. You struggle. I mean, just walking is hard work. Yeah. So you'd have to acclimatise, I'm guessing. You know, yeah. spend a few weeks, three weeks, ideally, at altitude to try and... I think if I went to do it, I'd go out for three weeks, spend two weeks there beforehand. Yeah. And then a bit afterwards. Yeah. Up at height. Probably take a camper van, stick it as high as I could in a mountain. <laughs> and just live in it for two weeks. to going to look like jogging. But hey... The run is a salute to the toughness and perseverance of the miners who used to work in that area. Mm. I think it's amazing. And also, you'll be aware, you finish the race by running in Silton and kissing yeah. a rock called the Hard Rock. Yeah. And that's how you finish the race. Yeah. Um, and it's, again, we talked earlier about quirky little things that we like. Yeah. Like little quirky bits like that. A little, it's a little bit of what makes, for me, the Hard Rock just one of those races I really want to do. And as I said, it's so ridiculously difficult. Yeah. I just love to do it. When you see the, I, I like this, um, people have done some elevation profiles of different races online and you can see like, um, uh, but they superimpose one on top of the other and you've got all the trail races where all the people look at them. And then above all of them is like hard rock and it's just bu- bu- bubbles along the top. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, utterly ridiculous. And one of the things I like about it from what I've, I've heard online, what I've 
uh, and heard on podcasts is the community spirit around it. People say it's a real kind of family atmosphere. You know, that spirit personified by things like Killian Journey waiting at the finish to the whole four, even though he finished it in like 24 hours till the last person came over the line and gave him a hug. You know, yeah. the fact that all those people, you've got the full mixture of veterans, as you were saying, first runners and people who experience and stuff, and they all just hang around and enjoy it. And people t- seem to go there and spend like a week or so there and enjoying it. Yeah, they, they run wait lists as well. I think they do. I'm pretty sure they do exactly the same way for Western States. Where literally you can, the last few people are sat there in the hall waiting for their numbers for people not to turn up. Yes. And yeah. you can literally be there with 10 minutes to go. They say, right, you're running today. Yeah. <laughs> can you survive? Just the tension. I'm either getting it or not. Oh, yeah. But anyway, so yes. Good choice. That's right up there for me. That's, that's my number one. Okay. Which just leaves us with one. Just one more. Yeah. Which is my number one. So your number one is the number one from fame is the Barkley Marathons. And I had it as my number one as well. Really? Yeah. God, I didn't think you would be on your list because you've previously you've always said, oh, I'm not doing that. Wouldn't, wouldn't be on my list. There you go. God. Thanks, number one. So, the Barclay Marathons. Even my five-year-olds heard about it. Uh, and she knew it was going to be on your list. And this is what she had to say. The Barclay Marathons? Thane, are you insane? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Even my five-year-old knows about the Barclay Marathons. <laughs> so the Barclay Marathons are. Uh, you're clearly surprised I had it on my list. Very much so. I, you've always kind of maintained it was a stupid thing to do. I don't think it is a stupid thing to do. But hey, look, this is your one to do in the podcast, so you want to do it, and I'll explain later on why I want to do it. Okay, let's start with the origins then. So the origins are that the chap who assassinated Martin Luther King uh, was uh, escaped from uh, prison which is where this is based around and in a little over 50 hours managed to get a few miles, five miles or so from where he was at the prison Uh, he was found by guards eventually under a pile of leaves and was apparently uh, quite happy to be found. Making progress around that area is hard Um, it's hard because it's steep terrain and because of all the vegetation is quite heavy, um, it's uh, the bushes are quite uh, covered in thorns and things. So it is, it is hard going to make any progress. And that was the it was Laz who's the like, race director. Um, uh, as a lot of these races, probably uh, the ideas of them start down a pub um, or equivalent in the US. Yeah, uh, and said. Crikey, to only get like five miles in, uh, in, in 50 hours. I bet I could get a hundred miles. And they said, Oh, why don't we make a race? So, so that was the, I think the origins of how it all started. Yeah. So it's five loops. Five loops. You, well, maybe five loops gone. Yeah. And that's why they call it the Barclay Marathons. So five loops, each of them, um, reportedly about a marathon in, in length. Um, and I say a lot of these are reportedly, and that's because you're not allowed any GPS device there. Um, there's no maps you take away afterwards. Uh, when you arrive, you have to take off all electronic equipment and you're given a very cheap Casio watch so you can monitor your own time. And that's why all the estimates on length and ascent are estimated. Yeah, um, it is fairly, I was going to say shrouded in secrecy. That's probably slightly stronger word, but shrouded in mystery maybe is maybe yes. a better word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're not really allowed to talk about it once you've done it and the route and things. Um, if you're seen actually in the area trying to research the route, you're not allowed entry, all kinds of little bits. Uh, it's understandable. 
So statistically, yeah, you've got five loops. You've got 12 hours to do each loop. Uh, each loop is, is about a marathon in duration. So you, they estimate it's about 130 miles, which on the face of it over um, 60 hours doesn't sound like much. But the climb uh, on each loop is about 11,000 to 14,000 feet, which means there's a total accumulated climb around 54,000 feet to 67,000 feet, which is 16 and a half kilometers to 20 and a half kilometers, which over 130 miles is really steep. So it's about 40% inclines in a lot of places. That's ridiculous. It is. It is. Uh, people, I've read about people wearing leather gloves to grab hold of branches and things. And the, 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 uh, the vegetation, which as I said before, is got covered in thorns and bits and pieces. So people get scratched to pieces. Yeah. And just, just making any progress is apparently really hard. So you get 12 hours. 12 hours to do a loop. There are 13 checkpoints effectively, um, but they're not regular checkpoints. Uh, as we would think of in the modern orienteering sense, they're actually books. And these books are reasonably well hidden. I think they're in bags and placed in the rocks and bits and pieces. And on each loop, you're given a race number. And when you get to the book, you've got to rip out the page that corresponds to your race number. And then when you get back uh, to the kind of the finish area, uh, you parcel as your 13 pages. He makes sure they're correct. And then you're ready to go out on the next loop. But you don't have much time. Effectively, to do a loop is going to take you around 11 to 12 hours. Uh, And it's only people who've managed to do well on the first few loops who are even able to kind of bag an hour or so of sleep. More often than not, you're doing the whole lot without any rest at all, any sleep of any kind. And it's completely not marked. It is an orienteering course, effectively, but with books instead of normal checkpoint type markers. Yeah, yeah. And there's some additional rules to know about as well, about places you can and can't go. But yeah, it's effectively a combination, mostly orienteering with kind of a bit of local knowledge. And I think some bits of the course have got special names and things that you hear about. And, uh, I, I don't, you know, special log, you know, landmarks in a, basically a landscape which doesn't have many landmarks, but, but, uh, like the prison, like the prison. But, but that, I think that's the only one, isn't it? Uh, but there are certain bits where, where pe- people have given names to bits of the course, but it does change. So statistically, they've had, uh, I've been running it for over 20 years. I've had 40 runners a year. I think there's just been about or just over a thousand people who've attempted it. And there's been only 15 finishes. 15 finishes. Yeah, which means you've got a finish rate of just over 1%, which is, which is crazy. And every time, every year someone finishes it, they just make it a little bit harder. And, and I think on any given year, it's never quite the same either. So the, you know, a little bit keeps everybody on their toes, uh, whether you've done it before or not. Yeah. And if you've watched any videos of it in the last couple of years, you'll have seen Gary Robbins failing to finish twice this year in what appeared the most dramatic of fashions, where he got to the finish line six seconds outside the 60 hour time limit. Ultimately, it transpired he'd actually navigated the course incorrectly, he finished from the wrong direction and therefore would have been disqualified anyway. Despite having all his pages. Despite having all his pages. Um, and there's been a, a film made by Ethan Newbury and Gary called Where Dreams Go to Die about the Barclay. Bring it to the UK, guys. UK. Bring it to the UK. And it's going to be, it's touring at the moment in America. Hopefully they'll release it. Um, and I'm, I'll be right there. If they bring it to on the tour, I'm definitely at the front of the queue to buy a ticket desperate to see it uh, just because I think it's going to show both the mystery the madness but also the 
utter horror, potentially, that is the Barclay. Yeah, yeah. And we should say, off the bat, congratulations to John Kelly, who finished it this year. Absolutely. Fifth night of it. I think everybody's focused on Gary not finishing it, and it's probably slightly overshadowed John's finishing of it. Yeah, because he's run it a couple of times, and uh, he's he's uh, from the local area as well, where they hold it in Tennessee. And uh, yeah, so hats off to him for for completing it. And Um, look, I think you've said it before, and I'll say it, just to complete a loop, yeah, one loop, not five, just one would be amazing. But and I know it sounds stupid, and people can tell me I'm an idiot. If I went there, I'd want to try. I really want to achieve more. You know, m- my dream would be to manage to do three loops. Because if you do three loops in under forty hours, you've completed the fun run. <laughs> I love that fun run. Um, and I know in my heart of hearts, I probably can't do it. Jamil Curry didn't manage it this year, but that doesn't matter. I think it's good to dream, uh, as Gary and Ethan have said, you know, but the Marquis where dreams go to die, but I still like to dream to try and do three loops. Yeah. But you're even getting in, Tyler, isn't it? You've got oh, to, yeah. You've got to, um, you've got to find out the email address. You've got to, uh, uh send your, uh, reasons why you'd like to take part to, uh, so that isn't openly available. You, they, they then, uh, well, Laz then reads them all and decides who's going to take part. And he has a mixture of new runners and people who've run it before. Uh, you have to pay $1.60 entrance fee. Um, just, uh, just a kickback towards the increasing prices for runs and things, which I love. The start time is somewhere between midnight and midday. Yeah, so an hour before the race, he blows a conch horn yeah. to, and that signifies it's one hour to go. And then to start the race, he lights a cigarette. Yeah, which is clearly is you know a very healthy and you know thing that you should do for a, an ultra marathon. Smoking is the thing you should do. Um, and then of course, if it's your first time running, you're supposed to take along a car number plate, a license plate yeah, I think so. from your country. Um, and I think if you complete it, if you do the five loops, you're supposed to hand over a piece of your clothing to give to people who fail the next time. And if you've completed it and come back again, you have to hand over a pack of cigarettes, camels to last. Yeah. But I'm sure there's all kinds of nuances we don't know. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh sounds an incredible race. I'd love you know am I gonna am I likely to run it as I said before? No. But if you were given the opportunity, absolutely would. And that's that's what I think what we mean about bucket race list, you know. That's something you would train a lot for and do the best you could possibly do. How could you not want to run the ultimate ultra marathon? Yeah. Yeah. You can't turn it down. No, of course yeah. you couldn't. Um, not that we'll ever get the chance yeah, probably, right. but that doesn't stop us dreaming. And yeah. I guess that's in some ways possibly why bucket lists of race are what they are. They're the, they're the ultimates. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And that is the ultimate of the ultimates. Mm, indeed. Anyway, so that was it. That was Barkley Marathon's number one on your list and number one on my original list too. Yeah, okay. Cool. Runners on trail. So finally, we'll just let you know what was on our original 10 list of bucket list races that then got whittled down to these five. So number 10 for me was Leadville. Number nine, Marathon de Salle. Number eight, UTMB. Number seven was Squamish 50 Series. Number six was the Giants Head Marathon. Number five was the Coastal Challenge. Number four originally was the Bob Brown Round. Three was the Western States. Number two was Hard Rock. And number one for me was the Barkley Marathons. (laughs) And for me, number 10 was UTMB. Number nine was Trans Grand Canaria. Eight was Hard Rock. Seven was Spine Fusion or The Spine. I can't make my mind up. One summer, one's winter. 
Uh, six was the Richest Veld Trans Frontier Wild Run. Five was Escape from Meriden Chained category. Four was the Grand Lake Reunion or Le Dagonal de Fou. Uh, three Coastal Challenge, two Western States and one Barclay Marathons. Runners on trail. I just think we'd like to finish on a little note about a race that's very special to both of us and that's Transvulcania, which for me was the race that got me into ultra running, having seen it on the TV. And if I hadn't done it, would probably have been up there as number one on my list. Yeah, likewise, it would have been high up on my list as well. Stunningly beautiful race, well run, a kind of an achievable length, hard, but achievable if you're getting into ultras. It's a good challenge to set yourself. Um, decent amount of climb, beautiful. Um, I would run it again in a heartbeat. As would I, and I think you'll find we'll probably do a whole episode on it, if not two um, at a later date. Yeah. Such do we love that race. Yeah, yeah. Runners on trail. So that was our bucket list races, and I know you were surprised. We I was. came up at number one yeah. for both yeah. of us was the Barclay, so that's really quite cool. If you like the episode, or if you haven't, let us know. You can email us. Runnersontrail at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Runnersontrail. Or you can even ping us on Snapchat, Runnersontrail. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and uh, let us know what you think. Uh, really hope you've enjoyed Runners on Trail episode three, the bucket list races. Runners on Trail.